If you're a guest with us, we're going through the book of Exodus. And as we get through the book of Exodus, it's been astounding to see what God has done on behalf of his people. And we're in a section of Ephesus or of Exodus that is that's a little bit cumbersome for people. It's the place in Exodus where people begin to rethink, should I be reading through the Bible this year? Maybe I ought to just be in the New Testament. I think that's what I'll do. I'll just go to the New Testament because we're in a section of of Exodus, chapter 21, 12 through 22, 20, that, that can be very difficult. It reminds me, I think maybe you've heard this old adage in the past, I don't get mad, I get even. My, my father-in-law, when he was alive, he used to say it to me all the time because I would play jokes on him and we'd always have a, have, just had the best of relationships. And he'd say, Bill, you know, I don't get mad, I just get even. Well, there are many grandparents that take that exact approach with their adult children. I read recently about uh, a father and a, a mother who were giving a birthday party for their four-year-old son. The grandparents came in. The, the son opens his grandparents' gift first, first off. It's, a, it's one of those big, massive, gigantic water guns. And the boy is just ecstatic, and the grandparents are just thrilled at how much he loves it. And, and he's, running to the, he's running to the sink to begin to fill it up. And the father looks a little, bit, a little bit upset, and he turns to his mom, and he said, Mom, don't you remember that when I was a child, we used to drive you crazy with the water guns? And she got a smile out of the corner of her mouth and said, yeah, I remember. I remember very well. Well, that's the way that some people see this particular passage. This particular passage teaches the principle, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let me read to you a portion of the passage from Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25, and you can follow along as I read on the screen Moses wrote, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. It sounds barbaric and sub-Christian in the minds of many people. Particularly when you consider what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What's stunning is that what Moses wrote is the word of God and what Jesus said is equally the word of God. And yet it's difficult for us to put them together. That's why some people think the God of the Old Testament was a brute, a bully. And the God of the New Testament is kind and generous. The God of the Old Testament is condemnatory and wrathful, and the God of the New Testament is Jesus, who is, who is willing to die for the sins of, the sins of people. That's, that's a complete misunderstanding of the Bible. It's a heretical thought. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. 
What I want you to notice in this passage in Exodus, I sum it up in this phrase, the punishment should fit the crime. The punishment should fit the crime. We're dealing with a passage of scripture where God is giving civil laws to the people of Israel that are to govern their personal relationships and personal property. They're becoming a nation. And they've got moral laws which are to guide them ethically and morally. They have got uh, ceremonial laws which are to govern their sacrificial system and, and the establishment of the priesthood when it, when, it, uh, when it begins. But they also have civil laws, governmental laws. He's setting, up a, he's setting up a judicial system for them. And the basic principle is that the punishment for a crime should be commensurate with the crime. In the ancient world, often the punishment was not commensurate with the crime. And in fact, often, depending where you were in the social ladder of life, determined whether you were punished at all. It was possible in some societies in the ancient world, if you were the upper rung of the social ladder, to seriously injure or abuse or take the life of someone who is at the lower end of that social ladder and not, and not receive punishment at all or merely a, a slap on the hand. At other times, it would be that you've, you've injured me inadvertently, so I'm going, to beat the, I'm going to beat the daylights out of you because I'm bigger and stronger and I am socially capable of doing it. And so God is, God is building Israel into a nation. And he, he wants them to be governed by equity. He wants them to be governed by justice. He, he wants the crime and the punishment to be commensurate. We, we see this in our own society. For, for example, if... We get a speeding ticket and we get a speeding ticket for going 10 miles over the speed limit and somebody else gets a speeding ticket for going 50 miles over the speeding speed limit. We just assume their ticket is going to be more expensive than our ticket. And we would be outraged if we found out that going 10 miles over the speed limit and going 50 miles over the speed limit resulted in the same kind of fine. It's not equitable. It's not just. One is much more dangerous, much more flagrant, much more, uh, much more serious than the other. And so God is working in his people so that they will have a judicial system, uh, have, a, have a legal system that is fair and balanced and just. In fact, as you read through it, you'll find that the idea of eye for eye, tooth for tooth is not even the basic way that justice is meted out. It's a way of talking about it being done equitably and, and fairly. Now, you see in the passage that, that there are biblical grounds in teaching for the death penalty. But you'll also know that there are parameters that are intended to protect people. Uh, that is, if a person takes someone's life in a, in a premeditative way, uh, then it's life for life. If you read through the entire passage, and maybe you'll, maybe you'll do so this week or, or this afternoon, you'll see that if it's inadvertent, accidental, 
Well, there are, there are other stipulations for that kind of situation, other, other punishments that are, that are much less severe. Something that I did find very interesting in the passage that I read, he talked about a pregnant woman. He, he talked about the idea of a pregnant woman being hit by someone, intentionally injured by someone. And, and if, the, if the woman and the, and the baby, the, the unborn baby, are not seriously injured, then it's one kind of punishment. But if it results in a death... That's another punishment entirely. Uh, it's interesting that science and the Bible both agree that life begins at conception. Uh, a number of, of, well, some time ago, I was listening to a sermon by Kevin DeYoung and it was on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And he gave some thoughts about the development of a baby in the mother's womb that I just found astounding. And, and it came to me as I was reading that passage, meditating, praying over it, thinking about it, 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 it confirmed to me again that all life is precious. That's the point that's being made in this section. All life is precious to God, whether it's the baby in the mother's womb or whether it is the senior adult living in a nursing home. Kevin DeYoung went on to say that at 18 days, the baby's heart begins to beat. At 21 days, it begins to plump, pump blood through its own circulatory system. At 28 days, its eyes, ears, and respiratory system begin to function. At 42 days, brain waves can be recorded and reflexes are present. At seven weeks, you can see the image of a baby sucking its thumb on an ultrasound. At eight weeks, body systems are present. At nine weeks, a baby can squint, swallow, move its tongue. At 11 weeks, a baby can, is sponta can spontaneously move and it begins to have fingernails. At 15 weeks, it has adult taste buds. At 16 weeks, you can tell if it's a little boy or a little girl. At 16 weeks, it can, it can grasp his or her own hand. It can kick, turn, do somersaults in the mother's womb. At 17 weeks, the baby is, is able to be seen growing, maturing, developing. At 18 weeks, there are vocal cords. At 20 weeks, the baby's going to weigh about a pound. And it's going to be a foot long. And he or she will have hair on its head. If a baby is born at 24 weeks, extremely premature, there's a 56% chance that that baby will survive. And as medical technology advances, that's increasing exponentially. 
The point is that life is precious. All life is precious. Whether you're a 45-year-old millionaire with a private jet and a home in Paris and a home in New York or you're a baby in its mother's womb, life is precious. Say, Pastor, this is kind of political. No, I would say it's theological. It's textual. It's biblical. You don't hear me address you like this very often, but, but I have to do it today because right there it is in the Bible. And so you may be here and, and you may be suffering from infertility. My heart goes out to you because I know when I talk about things like this from time to time, it is hard for you. And, and when we talk about children, those who've had miscarriages, it is hard for you. And, and Jaylen and I have grieved for you and with you. And yet, there are others here, maybe unbeknownst to anybody outside Maybe your family and maybe just you yourself. Maybe you've, maybe you've had an abortion or maybe you've coerced a young lady into an abortion. And you hear, you hear these kinds of things and you wonder, is there any hope for a person like me who's done what I've done? Absolutely. Jesus Christ forgives sin. Did you know the Apostle Paul was complicit in murder? And he became one of the greatest men in the history of the church and wrote a significant part of our New Testament. You, you may live with, with shame. You, you need to embrace the forgiveness of God. And if God has, ca has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and he has put it behind his back and he's covered it in the blood of his son... You may live with remorse and at time disappointment. Well, that's true of all of us who have committed sin, isn't it? Occasionally things come back to what I did when I was 19 years of age and I regret it and I'm remorseful for it. But the, but the truth of the matter is God has forgiven me of it. And if I choose to live in it, that's a serious mistake in my, in my thinking and in, and, in my, and in my life. So I would say to you, if you don't know the forgiveness of God through Christ, you can know it. And if you've experienced it, then embrace it. But the point that I'm, I'm making in all of this is that God was establishing a nation. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It wasn't barbaric. It isn't some kind of, of a depiction of an angry, vengeful God that turned over a new leaf in the New Testament. He's wanting society to be just. He's wanting people who commit the same crime to receive the same punishment. He doesn't want people who are at special places and have special resources and, and, have, and have certain levels of education to be able to maneuver and manipulate and coerce a system and to get out from, the, from being punished with the same commensurate punishment that somebody who doesn't have those opportunities and privileges have. So although this was a part of Israel's civic judicial system and it doesn't carry over into our system 
very well because that was an agrarian society, an agricultural society, a nomadic society. Our civilization is quite a, quite a bit different, but the principle remains the same. That is, a crime should receive commensurate punishment or punishment that is commensurate with the crime. That's the point that we would draw from this. And yet, the passage that I referred to earlier uh, seems to go against it altogether. It seems like Jesus is throwing it out. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 in its entirety. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now he's going to tell us what that means. What, do you, what, do you, what does it mean not to resist an evil person? He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, Jesus is speaking, in a sense, hyperbolically to some degree. Now, how hyperbole makes a point. It accentuates an idea to make a point. I could say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Well, you know from, say, from me saying that, first, I don't think you could eat the horse. Second, I don't think you would eat a horse. And, but you get the point. You get the idea. I'm very, very hungry. So when Jesus says, Give to the one who asks of you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He doesn't mean that every time we see someone, someone on the side of the road asking for money, well, we ought to pull over and give them money. Though it doesn't mean that there aren't times that we should do that. But we get, we get the idea. In fact, let me, let me work it out for you in four thoughts, that I, what I think Jesus is saying. I want to begin with what we say, and then I want to, sh I want to show what Jesus intends. I have, I have a right to respect. Jesus would say, don't respond to an insult with an insult. Instead, turn the other cheek. In, in the ancient world, a slap across the face, usually it would be with the right hand, the back of the hand slapping a person across the face, uh, hitting their left cheek, was a form of insult. It was a way to degrade and to minimize the importance or the significance of a, a person. It was to show disdain and disrespect toward them. And that's something we want. We want to be shown respect. Uh, but Jesus doesn't want us to become vengeful. In fact, he's instructing those who love him not to be vengeful, not to be a revenging kind of people. So turn the other cheek. Uh, maybe a, a one way to put it is a gentle answer turns away wrath. They speak harsh, cruel, kind, unkind, condescending. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Nothing is accomplished by going tit for tat. Nothing is accomplished by returning blow for blow. Nothing is accomplished by insult for insult. It just isn't beneficial and it's not helpful. It's not godly and it's not helpful to you. Nor is it helpful to me. It develops a spirit of bitterness and resentment and animosity and hatred. And, and a root of bitterness 
It causes all kinds of problems and, and it's never kept within oneself. It spreads to those closest to us. Don't respond to an insult with insult. Instead, turn the other cheek. Second, I have a right to my possessions. Don't cling to your rights, but give him your coat also. I have a right to my own possessions. There, there's a possessiveness about most of us. When you become a, a grandparent, you begin to see that those things really don't matter quite as much as you, as you think. They accidentally break a glass or knock over a picture or something. It's your grandchild. You, just, you don't think anything about it. But before that, we're fairly possessive people. Uh, the man that I would consider my mentor in the faith had a grandfather clock that his father made for him by hand. And when he was being called from one church to another church and the church he was going to sent people to load him up and move them, uh, two of the men were carrying that grandfather clock and dropped it and it just smashed to smithereens. He described to me that he was standing there and all he could see was my father, and his father was dead at that, at that time, my father made me that with his, own, with his own hands. His wife is a very petite lady, walked up beside him and took him by the hand and tugged on his collar and whispered into his ear, that's a clock and these are people. Just remember that. And he said to put everything in perspective. He really did, he grieved it. He was disappointed by it. But he said, those words were reverberating in my ears as they're apologizing to me and, and, just, and just in horror of what they'd done. He said, the words, it's a clock, they're people. It's a clock, they're people. We have a right to our possessions, but we just need to remember they're only possessions. Uh, third, we have a right to our leisure time. Do more than expected. Go the second mile. We live in a leisure-driven age. We want our leisure time. We demand our leisure time. We have to have our leisure time. It's only been in the last couple of decades that, that leisure time really became, became something became something considered more of a right than a privilege or a blessing. He says, go the second mile. In first century world, the Romans were the those that governed over Palestine, over Israel. They were an occupied people. And a soldier could approach a Jewish man or a Jewish woman and said, I want you to carry my, I want you to carry my, my backpack. I want you to carry these things. And legally, they had to carry them for one, for one mile. And they knew how far a mile was, and they're counting it off in their mind, and they're going that mile, going that mile, going that mile, and, and then lo and behold, when that mile it ends, that's where it ends. But he says, no, don't go with just one mile. Go the second mile. Do more than expected. Do more than required. A fourth, he says, I have, a, I have a right to use my money the way I want. That's what we say. He says, be generous, not stingy. Give to him who asks of you. I mentioned that what he's not saying is that we pull off the road every time we see a, a homeless person. And, but you know what? It doesn't do us any harm occasionally to roll down the window and, and give him $5, $10. 
handful of change, whatever it is that we might have handy, whatever it is we feel, would feel comfortable with. We might say, well, you know, pastor, they'll just use it on liquor. Well, how do we know they're going to use it on liquor? How do we know what they're going to use it for? How do, that's not our responsibility. That is, if the Spirit of God prompts us and the Spirit of God encourages us and we know when it's happening, then we roll down the window and we give, we give them the money. We have a right to, to our money. No, we, our right is to be generous. Well, I give God 10% and we think that 90% is ours. Really, it's 100% his. In his graciousness, he asks a certain amount from us. Then he lets it use it as we choose, as we want. And often, though, he will choose to dig into that 90% or 85% or 82%, whatever it is that we've got left out of what we give to kingdom causes and he'll he'll press us to do something more something unexpected something that will cramp our our budget just a little bit but it'll be the right thing to do because we'll be spending his money in his way at his at his timing see when Moses wrote an eye for an eye he was writing God's word when Jesus said don't be vengeful he was speaking God's word and both of them fit perfectly together, don't they? Moses is, is writing to a nation that needs a judicial system, that needs civic structure, structure for an agricultural and a nomadic people. And in, and in, in, the, in that ancient world, brutality often would rule the day. You injured my animal, I'll kill your child. That was the lay of the land for much of the ancient world. But God wanted his people to be different, distinct. That the punishment would fit the crime and regardless of where you are on, on the social ladder, justice is to be enacted with appropriate um, and commensurate penalty. But that's not something that we carry over into personal relationships. That's, that's government. That's justice. That's a judicial system. That's, that is law enforcement. In day-to-day -day interaction, in day-to-day -day personalities, in day-to-day -day, -day -day conversations, we're not to be a vengeful people. We're to be a forbearing people. We're to be a patient people. We're to be a kind people. We're to be a generous people. Uh, we're to be a long-suffering people. We're to be a forbearing people. It's, it's a pastor, it's easy to say that, and I admit that, so I'm telling you what, I, what I'm telling you I don't always do. But there is one who told us to do it who always did it. Now, you remember that Jesus said, love your enemies. He, he spoke these words right here that we just read. And then on the cross, what's the first thing that he said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't hold this sin. He didn't absolve them of all their sin. He said, this sin... They don't realize they're crucifying your son, their creator. Don't hold this sin against them. He is the perfect example of what it means to be kind and generous and forgiving and forbearing. Even when people don't actually deserve it. Nor did we. And so... These two passages are two passages that help us see two sides of life. One relates to civil life 
judicial system, the legal system, and the other to personal relationships. They're not contradictory to one another. They, they work together very, very well. In just a moment, we're going to have a, have a time of commitment. We're going to stand and we'll all sing together. And it may be that there's one or, one or two things that, that you would like to think about as we're singing and maybe just pause as you're singing along the way. One pray that we would have a nation of equality in, the, in, the, in that arena of justice. Justice in this sense that the punishment would fit the crime. That those who commit similar crimes would be punished with commensurate punishment. Second, uh, let's pray that we be people that love Jesus enough to follow Jesus' example in kindness and forbearance and, and, uh, and forgiveness. And maybe there's a, a person, a circumstance, a situation, an, an incident in your life that, that even right now as I'm talking to you, it's, 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 coming to, it's coming to your heart and your mind and you can feel it rumbling inside of you. And so maybe what you'll do is you would just think about that, pray about that during this time and ask God to help you to do, to do the right thing. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone. You could come forward during this time. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone about church membership. You could, you could come forward as well. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand and I'm going to lead us in, in prayer and then we'll all, we'll all sing together as our worship pastor leads us. Our Father in heaven, thank you so very much that your word is clear and it's true, that we can embrace it and believe it and by your grace and, and your power we can live it. And so, Father, in these final moments, speak to us. Conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.